Good morning. Wonderful to be with you. We are in Hebrews chapter 11. One of the most famous chapters of the scripture, the listing of the men and women of faith that we read of throughout the Old Testament. Chapter 10 ends by declaring that as God's people, the church, we are people of faith. Hebrews 10.39 said this, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. All of God's people are people of faith, for it is through faith in Christ that we become the people of God. And the writer of Hebrews wants us to, to begin thinking of ourselves as people who are of faith. And then the very next verse, beginning chapter 11, he explains a little, what he, does he mean by that? He gives us somewhat of a definition of faith, and what is it that faith does? Hebrews 11.1, 1. now faith is the assurance, the conviction of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So when we don't see God at work in our circumstances, when we are not experiencing what are the promises of God, in those moments, we still persevere in the actions that show we trust everything the Lord says. We believe him. We believe his promises. We believe his sovereignty. And we continue to live by the realities of Scripture, whether or not in this moment it all seems to be in control, which really means it's not in our control. And when life is not in our control, we're trusting whose control it always is in. It is always in the faithful hands of God. And to encourage us in this, that we might see that God's people have always had to apply faith, that God's people have always been faced with situations that seemed overwhelming and impossible and out of control, and yet they were able to stand and trust and live believing that God was in control. And to do that, the author gives a list of the people and circumstances that, as believers, we're familiar with, what we've read throughout the Old Testament. And he gives a long list, which uh, we will start this morning with the first three of those examples given in verses 4 to 7. By faith. Abel, the son of Adam and Eve. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, his brother, through which he was commended as 
righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you. We, we are here because of our love for you, because we recognize our need for you, because we want to see you clearly. We want to know how to live faithfully before you. So we ask that your spirit would engage our, our minds and engage our hearts that our lives might be filled with faithfulness, our God, in a response to the reality that you are ever faithful to us. Well, this, this is wonderful that we could be faithful to you, but we need you in it. So help us in this moment. In the name of Jesus, for his honor we pray, amen. Now, how was faith displayed in the lives of these three men who followed the Lord so many years ago? We see that Abel, the very beginning of human history, trusted in the way that God declared that we must come to him. We see that in verse 4, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. Now we see the backdrop, the story of Abel in Genesis 4. Read uh, verses 3 to 8, so we see the context of uh, what was taking place in Abel's life. In the course of time, Cain, his brother, brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry. And his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And Cain spoke to Abel's brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. 
Abel's brother Cain had decided how he would bring a sacrifice to the Lord. It obviously was not what the Lord had asked for. Abel knew what the Lord had required. Cain knew what the Lord required, but Cain decided that he would give what he wanted, what he determined should be acceptable to God, but it wasn't. Faith recognizes that we're insufficient before God. We, we are unworthy and unable to determine according to our intellect, by our sense of what is good and right, we are not capable of determining what truly is good and what is acceptable to God. By faith, we recognize the the worth of God, the wonder of God, by faith we submit to the reality of God and we come to him always as he has given us to come. In the second example, we have Enoch who trusted the worth of God, the value of God, and so he lived wholeheartedly for him. Verse five of our text By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. He was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. We know very little about Enoch, but what is told us is described in Genesis 5. And very very pointed statement is given to us twice that we might understand. So what signified this man's life? What caused God to be pleased? Genesis 5, 22, Enoch walked with God. After he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters, thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years, Enoch walked with God, and he was not for God took him. The summation of his life, we don't know exactly what his actions were. We don't know what he encountered, but this we know, that in all he did, he walked with God. It's a statement meaning the, the wholeness of his life was engaged and connected with the person of God. In verse 6 of our text, it, it makes a connection between him pleasing God by walking with him and being near. Enoch was a man who believed in how wondrous God was, and in response to what he believed about God, he sought to always live near God, in connection of God, not allowing anything to drive a wedge between him and his relationship with the Lord. And the astounding response of God was that he, he took him, that Enoch actually left this world without dying. The third example, Noah. He trusted all that God commanded him to do. Now, we know a little more about Noah than the others. His life is 
captured our imagination a bit. We're aware of the narrative of Noah that he lived in a time when the world was consumed with sin and rebellion against God. And so God made him aware that he was going to bring a judgment upon the world through a global flood that would encompass the whole earth and destroy all living creatures. And so he commanded Noah to build an ark to preserve his family from that coming judgment. What a huge undertaking. It took him decades to build the ark. And can you imagine what the people who knew him were saying to him over these decades? The ark was gargantuan. Has anyone been to the, the ark experience? I think it's in Ohio. We're there. It's, and you see they, they use the, the biblical measurements to create uh, a reasonable facsimile of the ark, and it is huge. It's estimated by the size and the type of wood used that it was 1,322 tons, which means no one was moving the ark when it was done. So here it is built on land, and you're not going to get it to water. The biggest ship that had ever been built up to that point, you're not only going to get it to water, there, there isn't any water big enough for it to float in. We don't know how Noah struggled through those years. We, we can guess because he was a man that he struggled with the whole idea of what am I doing with the attitudes of people, with the actions of people. We don't know how Noah struggled, but we know how he responded to God. Two statements we see, Genesis 6.22, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. And then again in chapter 5, verse 7, and Noah did all all that the Lord had commanded him. Each of these men displayed their faith in God by how they lived, how they responded. And every true believer shares their same faith. We, we may exercise our faith in different measure with various degrees of strength, with various consistency. But the faith that trusts God, that pleases God, is the same faith. Uh, it struck me when we were preaching through 2 Peter uh, in chapter 1, verse 1, uh, the apostle Peter compares the faith of just the ordinary people of the church with his own. He, Peter, who traveled with Jesus, who is made an apostle by Jesus, who was given to write 
passages of books of the Bible for us, and this is what he says about our common faith. He addresses them, Simon Peter, a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ. All saving faith is the same faith, the same kind of faith. It is entrusting ourselves to God who must save us, entrusting ourselves to what God has declared about our condition, entrusting ourselves to what God has called for from us in response to him. Faith that then seeks, at times struggling, at times weak, but continues to plod day by day in seeking to live for God whom we love, whom we depend upon. And every true believer has that faith. Each of you have believed the word God sent. The word written down and the word that became flesh and died on the cross, shedding his blood to cover the guilt of our sin. We have entrusted ourselves to the word declared and to the word presented to the world. We have responded to God coming to us. Chapter 11 is not, as we read it, trying to make us feel smaller and smaller as we read of what Abel and Enoch and Noah, and Abraham, and others have done. We're, we're not meant to feel small at the end. We're meant to have our hearts encouraged that yes, I, I am also one of them. One of those who has faith and whose soul does not shrink back, who trusts that the Lord will preserve. And such a Lord is to be followed. In fact, as, as we read through and work our way through the passage of the next few weeks, at times we may be impressed, astonished, with, as we remember some of the actions, the degree of faithfulness that these men and women undertook, and then to realize that your faith may not be stronger, well, maybe it is, but your faith is greater, meaning that our faith now has more knowledge and clarity of the full picture of God, of his character, of his grace, of the gospel through the coming of Jesus Christ, God in flesh, who made fully clear truths of God that no one had grasped. How far will God go to save? How committed is God to those whom he loves? How is it that God who is holy can receive those who are sinners 
And it is Jesus who answers all of this. God is so committed, he became flesh. He went to the cross. He died bearing the judgment of the Father upon himself, paying what we owe that we might not only be free, but that we might be adopted into the household of God to be with him forever. And it is in Christ we see the holiness of God, the earnestness of God to judge even his son, and we see the grace of God. We see the love of God. We see the arms of God stretched as far as they could go to receive us. And so our faith is actually greater for what we can see is greater than what they saw. And our trust is in the specific son given. Christian, your faith is true. Your faith in Christ has saved you because your faith is in the one, as we heard last week, your faith is in the one who saves. Your faith is supernatural. God gave it to you. God embedded it in you. And you believe what others think is impossible and foolish, and you believe it readily, because the person of God truly has entered your heart and mind and life and cause you to see him. And when we see him, what is there not to trust and believe? Your faith is persevering because it is God who holds you. And the faith he has embedded in you, he will not remove. He will cause that flame of trust to never be blown out. Your faith is able to stand. Indeed, it will stand. And it's, it's able to grow. It's able to be more and more consistent, deep, and effective. And so your, your faith can speak to those who see and watch as the faith of these men still speaks, Scripture tells us. Your faith speaks to those who know you, to those who live in your home, to the little ones that come in and out of your life. Even if they're only at your, your house for hours a week, they see. Your neighbors see. Those you work with see. Your fellow members see. The angels see. The demons see. And what they see as we trust in Christ gives honor to him and pleases him. And so just as God's people before us, let us live in faith. Live by faith. Which means like Abel, let us trust God's path when those around us don't. Cain offered a sacrifice, 
They came from what he had raised. In the verses before, in Genesis chapter 4, it says he, he worked the field. So he gathered what he had raised. His, his sacrifice, his offering, meant something to him. That's why he gave it. To him, it was meaningful. He was probably proud of it. And according to the world's perspective, that should have been enough. God should have accepted it. It's what he wanted to bring. It meant something to him. He was proud of it. God should have accepted it. Only said by those who don't know God. We do not instruct God in what he should accept. We do not set the table and God must feast on what we bring. We come to him knowing we are destitute and beggars, that we are broken and lost. And without his grace, we have nothing. We are nothing. Cain has much company in this world, the company of those who resent God for rejecting our terms. I'm sure you've all heard those who have made statements. Well, if that's what God's like, or I would never follow a God who, and they go on to say, doesn't meet our expectations, doesn't take us with the way we want to come. Abel trusted God to accept what God required. God must be particular about what he requires from us. Not because God has some forbidding attitude or God is narrow-minded. It is because God is entirely and perfectly good and holy. And we come to him sinners rightly condemned for the sin that is in us. And God, creator, Lord, judge, must respond to the sin which we bring before him. God must be specific about what he requires because God sees clearly and truthfully. And so the sacrifice that God required had to be a sacrifice that took into account our sin and it had to point to the ultimate sacrifice that alone would remove the guilt of sin. The person of Christ dying on a cross, shedding blood, paying for the guilt. The world lashes out at God being God. The world has no problem with there being a God for the most part. They just don't want him to be God. They want him to be powerful enough to help, rich enough to bless, present enough to protect, but they don't want him to be God. They don't want him to rule. They don't want him to be perfect. They don't want him to be the owner of what he owns, everything. Cain murdered his brother 
And his brother didn't even, his brother wasn't the one that rejected his sacrifice. God did. So angry at God, he was angry at those who pleased God and took out his anger at the only one he could reach with his arm, which was his brother Abel, and killed his brother in anger of God being God. Faith sees ourselves clearly, which includes the reality that we are utterly dependent on God and we need his mercy. Faith sees, in addition, not only the condition of ourselves and our sin and our need, and faith sees the wondrous beauty of Christ, one worthy to be trusted and followed and embraced. And seeing our need and the glory of Christ, faith abandons all of our, well, I think, attitudes and statements. Faith wants to know, but what has God said? Like Abel, let us trust the path God has given when those around us don't. Like Enoch, let us trust the goodness of being near to God, of walking with God. He believed the best possible life is to live in connection to God, to walk with him. That, that would be the single clearest, most accurate way to describe him. He walked with God. How wonderful that that is what we know of him. Verse 5 says, this walking with God pleased God because God does love us and he does want relationship with us. Indeed, God's desire, God giving a Savior, God giving a way for us to come to him is because God wants to remove the guilt of sin and have us come into relationship with him, but it can only be by the one who can pay for the guilt of sin. And God showed his pleasure by taking Enoch. Counterintuitive to us. Well, if God loves him, he'd let him live longer in the world. God loved Enoch and drew Enoch to be in his presence. And the one person not complaining that day was Enoch. Because his highest joy was God. And that God pleased by Enoch's heart and life fulfilled his highest joy and brought him home. We are given two ways in which our faith pleases God in verse 6. When we believe he exists, and when we believe he rewards. Now we think those who believe he exists please him. That's a pretty low threshold. 
To believe God exists means we believe who God is. It's not we believe our own opinions about God because that's not God. It's not that we choose our God and believe in him. Those are all imaginations. We believe in God, the person of God, which means we have to believe in who he is. Who is the true God? What is true about him? We believe he is glorious, almighty, eternal, central to all things. And so we want to be with him, to know him deeper, to honor him, to live by his values. We believe that God exists. We believe God as he is, as he has communicated himself. And that pleases God. And then we, we also, when we believe that he rewards those who seek him, he is pleased. Meaning, we believe that a life that follows God is life that is blessed. Life that is right and true and receives all the goodness that God has and means to give. To believe that he rewards those who diligently seek him means we have faith that God is faithful and his faithfulness is all surpassing. That his faithfulness will be greater than any path we choose that we follow. Any of the desires we think, well, this will be good. We believe that what God brings and gives is much better, better incomparable to what we can gather ourselves. And so we live that way. Do you believe, sincerely believe, that when our heart is less given to God, we have less of life? That you can never have more life with less God. That you can never enrich life by being further from God. It's impossible. Do you believe that every step of obedience, when you're, when you're struggling to obey, when it seems hard to obey, when within you, you don't want to, and those around you would have you do something else, but when you take a step of obedience, that was immediately wise. And immediately good. Doesn't mean it's immediately easy. Or we experience immediate benefits. But we believe the wisest thing we can do is obey God. It is always the best thing we can do. We all experience relational difficulties. We all struggle in this world with each other. And perhaps there's no area of life in which committing ourselves to God and obedience is more challenging than in the struggles of relationship because the emotions that are involved. Whether the hurt, the love, 
We want to control, we want to fix, we want it to be our way, we want it to be right, we want it to be fair. There's all sorts of things we want. And the disappointments when they're not doing what they should or what we think they should. And so we start acting by what we think will work, what others do, what we saw being raised, what our impulse is, what feels better at the moment. But in those times and moments, there is nothing better you could do than to take a step. What obeys God in my attitude and action and my word right now? Or what in my silence? In how I posture myself? Obey God in those moments. You cannot do better. And like Noah, trust God in what he has told us to do. Obedience to God doesn't always seem to make sense or doesn't always seem to be beneficial because we have limited sight and we have a temporal perspective. But if we, if we really believe that God is sovereign over everything and that he is good, then nothing else makes sense than to obey all that he says. Nothing else makes sense. Faithful obedience will be vindicated. It was when Noah stepped on that ark and that door shut and that water began to rise and the awareness started and the screams and the crying out. He was vindicated then, but it was too late for them. And our obedience will be vindicated on the day we see him. When he appears, no one's going to be arguing with us then. And when we trust God in obedience, it brings rest. Even if you're not sure what to do, how to control what's going to happen. But I know there's nothing better than obeying God. That brings rest to the soul. I'm doing what I know God has said, I cannot do better than that. I cannot improve upon that. And then we trust. I believe God. I trust God. And when you struggle with the trust, you, you look at the cross. That's always where we look. Oh, yes, he's faithful. He's good. He loves. He cares. He's committed. When you leave, live in faith, you join this list. In Hebrews 11, you, your name, your life is, is embedded. It's already on the list. It's in the book, your faith. The list has continued and it, it has enveloped you. Faith is when you get up in the morning just to spend time with God. That's faith. 
faith is when you bring your family to church, when you go to small group, when you don't feel like it and you have other things to do because you believe that you need it. You believe it's the best thing you can do for yourself and your family. Faith is when you confront the accuser of your soul with what God says. He has forgiven you. He has justified you. He holds you. He has adopted you. His spirit is in you, and you confront the liar with what God has said. Not with what you feel about yourself, not even with the reality of your weaknesses, but with a person of Christ who stands and who we saw earlier week after week, the one who lives to make intercession for you. You listen to him. Faith is when you affirm that your hope is Christ, the person of Christ. That's your hope. All of it, all of it gathered from every corner of your being and placed on one person. It's not faith in him and the right political candidate. It's not faith in him and success. It's not faith in him and social media likes. It is Christ, just him. It's enough. Faith is when you respond in the spirit. Rather than like the world around you. And so, people of God, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. We are of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you with thanksgiving for you who in even our own understanding, you who would have been fully justified in turning your back from us forever, but you have not and you have determined to gather and save a people to be with you. And we have found ourselves by your grace to be in that number. We cannot give any reason why other than your grace. Oh, we celebrate your goodness, your mercy. We ask that it would abound to any who are here who have not yet trusted, that they would see that is life and that we would live as people who have life. Help us, our Father. People live fitting to you. Be our strength in that. Hold us in that. Add to us in that. In Jesus' name, amen.